Welcome to this recording of May 2022's NASGP monthly lunchtime webinar, when we were joined by Dr. Tina Piers from the Menopause Consultancy for a talk on the management of the menopause, along with 40 NASGP members. As Tina didn't use her PowerPoint slides during a talk, we're also publishing this talk as a podcast and including a link to the slides in the show notes. Look out for your Monday morning emails from us with details about the next talk, which in June will be on skin cancer. Thanks for listening or watching and hope you enjoy the talk. Okay, so the menopause is um, massive, of course, because it is actually 52% of the population are female and over 13 million women in the UK actually are 50 or over. And uh, so it's, it's virtually every single patient you have who's going to go through it, or certainly half of them are going to go through it at some point. And there's been a huge increase in awareness, hasn't there, about the menopause because of Davina McCall and people like that, which is great. Um, I seem to have lost you again. There we go. Um, and that's that's um, absolutely brilliant that she's raising awareness. Um, but we've got to be ready for people coming in and then asking questions of wanting to be helped, quite rightly. Um, so women are... Um, it's still not very much talked about generally amongst women themselves. And it's always surprising when you talk to women how they don't talk about it to their fr fam their friends and their family. It's almost seen as a bit of a sort of almost uh, taboo or slightly uh, embarrassing or they're slightly ashamed that they're actually reaching the end of their fertile years and moving into the next chapter of their lives. So it's a great shame. A lot of women don't know very much about it and therefore it's beholden to us to educate them. So um, what happens? Women start to get the perimenopause on average in their mid 40s and um, anything under the age of 45 is classed as an early menopause and anything under the age of 40 is a premature menopause and it's really important for us to have premature menopause on our radar because this can occur in women as young as 17. Um, in fact I had a girl the other day who was 15 years old and she had very regular cycles everything absolutely fine and then she had her unfortunately she had her um a a se her second vaccine for COVID and her periods completely stopped as a result of that. Um, and after five months, um, she was investigating, she's gone through a premature menopause. So please have it on your radar, really, really important. Um, it's about um, up to 10% of women can go through a very early menopause. And it's very important that we don't miss it because they will have a massive increase in heart disease, in osteoporosis, a risk of dementia at a very, very young age. And certainly at Chelsea Westminster Hospital, where I worked for uh, four, five, four years, we saw a lot of young women were being referred into us who had uh, very premature menopause and they were in their 20s and 30s. And on average, it's missed by about five years. So often they are um, not diagnosed for five years, in which case they've usually got osteoporosis by that time where we do uh, DEXA scans. So they need baseline DEXA scans, they need FSH, LH, and an AMH, which looks at their, um, their uh, the anti-malarian hormone, looks at their uh, ovarian reserve, because they're going to ask you about that. They're going to be very worried about the fertility, obviously, and the implications for them. So I'm just putting that in there while I think about it. So on average, though, for everyone else, it's in their mid mid 40s that they start to become perimenopausal. And as a perimenopausal woman, um, 
they start noticing little things and things creep on which um, you sort of get used to. They just think they're a bit tired, a bit ratchety, a bit short-tempered maybe because they're tired and they've got lots of stresses on and, and so on. And uh, the symptoms, there are about 30 symptoms for the menopause. Um, so we've got to um, keep this in mind. Sometimes women don't have a, a, a totally typical presentation. So the symptoms can range from hot flashes, night sweats, um, irritability, moodiness, forgetfulness, constantly walking into a room i can't remember what they were going in there for so they come out again and feel stupid um forgetting words they want to say um, um poor sleep insomnia is a big one um and lack of energy exhaustion but, but they can also get carpal tunnel syndrome they can get increased weight around their midriff and metabolic syndrome um, they can get um, nocturia, getting up in the night to pee, which of course then gives them a disturbed night's sleep, so it makes them more exhausted and more ratchety and more, more moody. Um, they can lose their libido, they can lose their mojo, uh, they can have uh, palpitations and they think, think something very alarming is happening to them um, from a cardiovascular point of view. They can get headaches. Um, and so on and so on. Itchy skin, uh, itchy skin. Don't don't forget that one. Often women complain of itchy skin, and they get this onset of itchiness that they find um, they can't explain away from it for any you know, any cause. Um, and it's usually it can be their hormones. So don't forget that. Um, hair thinning, um, skin a loss of skin texture, um, increased pore size on their faces. They can lose muscle mass and get sarcopenia, which they can find very alarming because they're going to the gym, they're working very hard, they want to maintain a nice physique and they're finding their muscles are just going to sort of slush really uh, and that they find that very depressing. So it's not surprising that a lot of women then feel depressed <laughs> and they feel like they've lost their former selves. Um, and sometimes it can be very, very dramatic uh, for women and they literally feel like they don't recognize the person they are uh, when they look in the mirror they don't recognize themselves and they start to feel very very um very very upset and very unhappy about it all but they may not realize that it's the menopause because their periods may still be regular and uh, and generally though what happens in a woman's uh, cycle as she goes into her mid-40s is the cycle becomes shorter um, so instead of being 28 days, it goes to 21, 23, 24 days, um, and the periods become longer. So instead of being, um, you know, maybe three or four, five days, it goes to six, seven, eight, nine, ten days. Uh, so they've got these shorter cycles with longer periods and also heavier. And I had a lovely slide showing you that the heavy menstrual bleeding that comes on in people's sort of 40s and going into the 50s so that they can have up to 68.7 mils loss um, in a period, which is actually quite a lot. Um, they they had a study where 77 women gathered all their all their um their sanitary wear and sent it off and it was all weighed and worked they calculated how much blood loss each woman had had and they were in all age groups and it, it showed very clearly that as women get older their periods get heavier um contraception is an important consideration because women still need it uh, and they may not think they do so please do ask them about contraception um so many women have said to me over the years 
um, when I've asked them what contraception to use, they say, oh, no, I'm, I'm not fertile now. Surely not. You know, I'm 48. I couldn't possibly get pregnant now. And it's like, yes, you could, you know, and certainly if they're having if they're having regular cycles, then that's a pretty good sign that they're ovulating. Um, but even when they're having ir slightly irregular cycles, then they can also ping off an egg. And so the rules are that if they're under the age of 50, when they have their last menstrual period, which they then are have become postmenopausal they need to use contraception for two years um, until they uh, uh, before they can disregard contraception and if they're over 50 then they need to use it for one year beyond their last menstrual period so um there's a pretty good good rule of thumb really and something that is a brilliant contraception for women in this perimenopausal phase i mean it's a brilliant contraception anyway but particularly apt for women in this um, age group is the um is the marina of course because it is intrauterine is the smallest dose of hormone possible um it it, it works exactly where it needs to be um it makes the lining thin so it reduces the flow it reduces the pain of periods and it probably will stop their periods and it gives them fantastic contraception but what's also so lovely about it is you've then got something in place that's um giving um them endometrial protection and as they become perimenopausal so these women may have no periods so that might, isn't going to give you any indication at all about where they are with their with their menopause but as they become perimenopausal and start to have symptoms of the menopause that's when they need to start the estrogen and it's so easy then to give them some estrogen added in knowing contraception is taken care of the endometrium is taken care of um, and it just makes it so much easier so much easier um, when it comes to um, women's cycles becoming irregular and wanting to consider hrt for them sometimes it's quite difficult to um to get them into a, a, a rhythm with the bleeding and uh, and and the um cyclical hrt um, and it, and it's sometimes difficult to know when to change them onto the continuous combined hrt um, and when are you going to make that transition when they've been on cyclical hrt for a couple of years you know would they have gone through the menopause by now or not you're not sure um so uh, we'll talk about that a, a bit in a moment um so you've got a woman she's um she's giving you a history you suspect she's perimenopausal um and uh, you're going to take a nice family history you're going to check her blood pressure you're going to talk about um things like which I'm sure you talk to all your patients about healthy lifestyle, being a good, healthy weight, losing weight, exercising, not drinking too much, um, not, not smoking, um, et cetera. And a good sleep hygiene, a very important one, very important. So um, we talk to them all about that, but then they we need to talk to them about HRT. And 10% um, of women in this age group will leave work because of the menopause. You know, and women, if we've got 13 million women over the age of 50, that's a huge resource for this country of, of women who've got, who should have energy, who've got experience and knowledge and are making a huge contribution in their families and in the society and financially. And, um, and for 10% of them to actually give up work, which is about 400,000 women a year give up work because of the symptoms they have at the menopause and they just cannot cope with it. Um, and sometimes 
just when they are literally at their at their best really you know they've got lots of experience and or it's a time in their life when they can start building their career having looked after the family and put everybody else first they then coming into this lovely blossoming of their life where they can spend some time doing a new tr new training or uh, furthering their career or whatever um, and that's when it can knock them for six and they lose their confidence and they lose their concentration and so on. So we really must be talking to women about giving them some HRT and the benefits of it. Now, when we look at um, we, what we know about the benefits of HRT, the way I describe it is that women's cells uh, are all designed to have estrogen. We're, women's bodies are designed to have estrogen. And um, and the um, estrogen receptors, when they are inside a cell, the job of the estrogen receptor is actually to switch the nucleus on. And um, it will only do that if it has estrogen sitting on the receptor. So, for example, if you think of an osteoblast, these are the, as we know, the bone building cells, um, and they have estrogen receptors inside them. Natural estrogen needs to pass through the cell wall, stick to that receptor, that makes the receptor send a chemical message to the um, it, to the nucleus and switch it on so that that osteoblast knows what it's supposed to do, which is creep through the, the skeleton, checking for areas that look a bit thin and ropey, um, and then dividing and dividing and dividing, making a whole bundle of new healthy bone cells, and then reinforcing the bone in that area. And then, and this will only happen if there is estrogen sitting in the receptor. So when there isn't estrogen, then the osteoblasts become very lazy and they just don't divide and make bone. And the osteoclast activity, the break, the cells that break down the bone, increase in activity. So you've got this great imbalance in the skeleton. And it's no wonder that one in three women by the age of 80 will have osteoporosis. No, and it's, a, as we know, very painful disease, very debilitating, um, will create the dowager's hump eventually. Uh, and they'll also fall over and fracture hips and things like that. And we know that when somebody fractures their hip, they have a pretty high chance of dying um, within the next six weeks uh, and six months from the fracture because of lack of mobility, infections, pneumonia, et cetera, et cetera. So really important for older women as we get older to stay mobile, but to have a really good, strong, healthy skeleton. Um, and certainly if women are on HRT, they do not get osteoporosis. And if somebody goes on HRT who's got osteopenia or osteoporosis, you can expect a 10% improvement in their bone density every three to five years that they're on it. So, and I've seen that in many, many cases where we've done the DEXA scan, we've seen that they're, they're demineralizing a little, they've got uh, some osteopenia or some osteoporosis, and then three, three years later, we check again, having had good levels of, of HRT for three years, and they have not only have we stopped it in its tracks, but their bones have improved, the density has improved. And of course, this is, this is really hugely uh, important. Um, so we can we can actually prevent osteoporosis if women, especially if they go on to the HRT in the perimenopause, but it's not too late, it's never too late. Um, the other thing to do is of course, encourage young women in their teenage years and early twenties to do weight bearing exercise. And that's terribly important because we lay down our skeleton in our late teens and early twenties. And if people are doing ballet or 
jumping, running, anything that's weight bearing, then they're going to build a much stronger skeleton than somebody who's a couch potato um, and doesn't do very much in the way of, of weight bearing exercise. So that's an important message for our young people, uh, the young people that you'll be seeing in your surgeries. Um, okay, so that's uh, osteoporosis. If we look at cardiovascular disease, in a similar way, the, the cells that line the arteries have estrogen receptors in them. And when there is estrogen in the body, it will pass through and it tells the, uh, the lining, the endometrium, if you like, to stay slippery and it prevents it from becoming sticky and the, uh, the um, um, plaques forming on the interior of the, uh, of the lining. And, um, and if, so if somebody, um, if we did coronary angiograms on women seven years after they had had their last menstrual period, all of them would have significant cardiovascular disease. They would all have significant coronary artery narrowing. And they've done studies where they've also given women, compared to women with HRT, and there is significantly less narrowing of the arteries in the women who are on HRT. In fact, it reduces the chances of cardiovascular disease by up to 60%. And the biggest, the biggest killer of women um, is cardiovascular disease. More women die from heart attacks, 34% will die from a heart attack. That's the biggest killer of women. The, um, the, the, it's, um, so if we can reduce that by 60%, then we are saving thousands and thousands of lives. Uh, so terribly, terribly important. Um, if we look at the brain and the effect of estrogen on the brain, the, um, the estrogen is required for uh, secretase in the brain, which is one of the, the enzymes that actually helps clean the toxins out of the brain. And these will build up if you don't have the estrogen helping that happen. So women are much more likely um, to get dementia and Alzheimer's disease than men, for example. Now, men are a very good example of how to keep your hormones until you die, basically. So men's testicles make lovely testosterone the whole of their life and 10% of it is converted to estrogen the whole of their life and that even though it's weak estrogen protects them it protects them from the heart disease from the osteoporosis from the dementia it maintains their collagen this is why men often in, if you see a couple and the woman isn't on hrt the man will often look like he's with his mother because his collagen is beautiful and lovely and hers is really collapsing because he's got estrogen and she hasn't so this is why we see the difference in the sexes in the elderly. Men have their, they keep their muscles better, they keep their body shape better, they, um, they, they look younger, as I say, because they've got more collagen. And uh, so, um, yeah, so men are perfect specimens, if you like, of how to keep your hormones going and how that gives you better health. And so we just need to give it to women because it's a bit of a design fault that we, our ovaries conk out halfway through our lives and with life expectancy going up, women are living longer and longer, but we need to be fit and healthy, not just in our 50s, but in our 60s, in our 70s, in our 80s and in our 90s. We need to be able to live independently, to et cetera, et cetera, look after ourselves. So um, when I speak to a woman, I'm not just thinking about her health today and getting her out of these symptoms today. I want to invest her to invest in her future health. I want her to be fit and healthy when her today is in her 60s and when her today is in her 70s and 80s. 
um, and that is really important message. Um, so we've looked at cardiovascular, the, the brain, let's get back to the brain. One in three women will have dementia by the age of 80. And if they're on HRT, that will be reduced by somewhere between 50 and 80%, which is massive, absolutely massive reduction in dementia. And therefore a very, very important conversation to have with every single woman who, when she gets to the perimenopause. Um, then let's just think about collagen for a moment. The fibroblasts also have um, estrogen receptors in them and they um, are responsible for making our collagen in our skin, our hair, our nails, our gums, our retina, our muscles, our joints. And if women have um, HRT, they are much less likely to get arthritis of the joints because their collagen in their joints will renew and replace and repair beautifully and efficiently. Whereas if they don't have any, then wear and tear starts to show and they start to get arthritis, much more likely to get osteoarthritis. So very important from that point of view. But for the muscles, and this is an important point as well, the muscles will diminish by 2% per annum if a woman is not on HRT. 2% per annum is 20% a decade. So no matter how much she exercises. So if she wants to go to the gym and get nice big muscles, you can tell I'm on HRT. That, you know, you need to have HRT on board as well to help your muscles lay down the collagen when you exercise and respond to, you know, increase the, the muscle fibers um, when you exercise. And that's important for your core strength, for your body shape, therefore for your self-confidence, for your how you look, how you, you how you can carry yourself. Um, it's just so, so important psychologically for a woman as much as anything else. And also her skin will look better um, and she won't, you know, look so aged, et cetera, et cetera, because it's always difficult for it's, it's difficult for women to get older sometimes, I think, you know, it's a bit, it can be a bit depressing. But um, better to be old than to die young. Okay. <laughs> so but anyway, so um, so that, yeah, so very important from the muscles, important for the joints. Um, we've talked about cardiovascular system. We've talked about that it reduces um, metabolic syndrome. And you must see a lot of patients with metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome is when they put weight around their middle. Um, they, they, the problem is that uh, for the cells to respond to insulin, they need estrogen. And when you have estrogen, insulin is taken up by the cells and the blood sugar is is modulated more um more appropriately whereas when the insulin uh, sorry when the estrogen levels drop the insulin is not so um effective and the body therefore makes more and more insulin you get this insulin resistance or metabolic syndrome high levels of insulin being produced and high levels of insulin sometimes are 500 times higher than they should be massively high that will make weight fat deposit around the middle and that will also um it will push people's blood pressures up eventually it will increase their cholesterol which of course will both increase their uh, risk of heart disease and it will increase their risk of getting diabetes pancreatic cancer and breast cancer so very very important that giving women estrogen is going to lower them and help them control their metabolic syndrome together with a low GI diet, um, exercise, uh, high interval um, training every day if you can, cold showers for 30 seconds of your shower if you can, and, um, and delayed eating, what's that called? Intermittent fasting, 
intermittent fasting, all of those things will help women to lose weight um, and get over the metabolic syndrome. Terribly, terribly important to control that and to, and for so for some who, um, for those those measures don't work, Inofolic Alpha is a really useful. Um, supplement for them to take twice a day in a folic alpha it's made from the husks of corn and it really increases the uptake of the cells of insulin so it's um they could just take it twice a day for three months they have to buy it over the over the internet in a folic alpha um, and that's really very helpful as well for women with pcos who have metabolic syndrome so that's just for more of your patients um right um okay so we've talked to the woman now breast cancer let's talk about breast cancer um breast cancer is the second um sorry let's talk about bowel cancer first bowel cancer is the second most common cancer to to kill women okay um the most common cancer that women die from is leukemias and lymphomas it's the the blood cancers in old age and then it's bowel cancer and the being on hrt reduces the risk of bowel cancer by 30 percent which is massive. The combined pill also reduces the risk of bowel cancer. So something about estrogen is protective for bowel cancer. We're not quite sure of the full mechanism, but we know that that's definitely the case. Um, so that's very important, especially when you've got women who've got family histories of bowel cancer, family history of osteoporosis, family history of heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, you know, dementia, Parkinson's as well. Women on HRT have a reduced incidence of Parkinson's. So another protection. Um, Okay, let's talk about breast cancer. This is the one that everyone worries about. And um, it is something like number seven in the list of causes of death of women. Um, and it's very important for us to um, keep this in perspective. Breast cancer is quite common, but luckily we're getting much better at detecting it and uh, treating it. Um, and so therefore more and more women are now living beyond breast cancer um and are hitting the menopause <laughs> so these poor women are in trepidation of their menopause because then they some of them will not be uh, permitted to go on hrt but some are and some many do um i talked to it, it obviously the cancer conversation is a very individual one because it depends on the woman's uh, family history and um but we we know that if we use our modern hrts which are body identical um, and we use utrogestan, which is body identical progesterone, then we do not increase the risk of breast cancer. Okay, and the studies are showing that more and more and more that we're not increasing the risk if we use transdermal estrogen, uh, estradiol, and um, and utrogestan. In fact, utrogestan, some of the figures are showing a slight reduced risk of breast cancer. Okay, and there've been lots of studies. There's a Danish study that shows that um, the the in the um, HRT group against the placebo group, there was less heart disease, but there was also slightly less breast cancer. So um, it's all about what type of HRTs and the old fashioned types of HRT were, it was the progesterone, not the estrogen that was po possibly slightly increasing the risk of breast cancer. Um, and uh, so yes, so, so choose your HRT very carefully. We like to go transdermal because it doesn't increase the clotting risk. Now, if somebody is on transdermal estrogen, they can have they can don't have to stop it before they go for an operation. Um, they don't have to have a miserable time sweating and feeling awful before their op and afterwards, which won't help their their recovery. So they can use transdermal estrogen and neutrogestan even even if they're going to have surgery. 
and it's totally unnecessary to take them off it. Um, the Eutrogestan does four things. It um, is a natural anxiolytic, so it reduces their anxiety levels, which can be quite high in women who are perimenopausal. Um, it, it is a natural hypnotic, so it helps them sleep. Um, and um, so it, it helps, it actually helps them sleep, which is great because often insomnia is one of the big things that's a problem. Um, and the, um, it also, is, it thins the blood and makes them less likely to have a blood clot. So that's good. Um, and the third thing is that it's in the studies that we've got, we've got six years of data to show it slightly reduces the risk of breast cancer. Somebody just popped that in the chat, didn't they? Um, and uh, yes, we, so we, we, we've got six years and we're expecting with, with more years that go by, hopefully we'll see that um, continue that trend. So um, overall, we know that women are fitter and healthier on HRT and that they are um, less likely to get bowel cancer. Um, the ovarian cancer risk um, is very, very slightly increased, but it's like one in a thousand. It's very, very small. Um, you're going to have difficulty with some patients who have had hysterectomies working out when they get to the menopause. Um, and, uh, and I think my, the last thing I'm going to say, because it's 1.34 now and I'm mindful of your time, is that um, the, um, please don't forget the vaginas. <laughs> Please don't forget to ask about people's vaginas. Don't, you know, please ask them about their libido. Ask them about intercourse. Is it comfortable? Um, is it, um, are they moist? Have they got dryness? Do they get um, discomfort and itchiness after intercourse? Do they have a discharge? Is it smelly? Um, you know, what is going on? Really ask those questions because women won't tell you and they can be really, really struggling and it can lead to divorce. You know, I've had women who have told me that um, going back on going on to HRT, sorting out their sexual function, um, enabling them to 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 become themselves again, has actually saved their marriages, because the, it can be so difficult for part for the partnership um, if intercourse isn't happening, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So obviously different for different couples, but definitely uh, something to ask about, please. Um, and vaginal estrogen is not does not add to the systemic estrogen it's local it's very good for preventing atrophy of the bladder and the vagina and the vulva so please do give your women vagifem or some vaginal estrogen and they they need to use it really every other day uh, vagifem alternate days is the best um, and that um, is we used to for those of you who are old enough we used to have 25 microgram Vagifem pessaries. So they were one twice a week, which is 50 micrograms a week. And then for commercial reasons, the company decided to make them 10 because they knew it wouldn't be quite enough and we'd be using more of them basically. Same price, same price, but half less than half the size. So now we've got data for using five a week, 50 micrograms a week to show it's perfectly safe and doesn't cause endometrial thickening. And in fact, if somebody used five a week, for a whole year, the total amount of systemic absorption they would get from the from the vagifem would be 1.14 milligrams of extra estradiol. So it's nothing, it's nothing. And, um, and often women who have had breast cancer and for one reason or another have been told they can't go on HRT, they can, you know, 
they will be happy to have the value fund because that will make a huge difference to their lives. Yeah, I think I'll stop there <laughs> because of the time. Is that all right, Richard? That's wonderful, Tina. Thank you so much. That's was really, really interesting. And um, I've not seen the slides, but I thought that would work brilliantly without the slides. But um, <laughs> um, so just imagine what it would be like with the slides, but I'm sure it would be, they, they weren't needed. Um, so um, I've got, we've actually got a queue of, well, a couple of people have put their hands up. So yeah. what I might do um, is, is I'll, I'll, I'll ask uh, Adebayo uh, to, to ask their question first, but also, We've got, um, and the, uh, I'll, I'll turn on the chat again in a second. If people want to ask questions in the chat, that chat is now on, um, and Ellie can put those into the, into the Q&A and I can, I can ask those. But anyway, um, so first question then from um, Odebayo. Do, do, do you want to go ahead and ask? Odebayo, you've got your hand up. Maybe they didn't know they put their hand up. Okay. Well, I got a question from Rita in the chat. Then, what is that supplement that was mentioned for Picos? Inofolic Alpha, Inofolic Alpha, I N O F O L I C, Inofolic Alpha, and it is made from corn husks, and it increases the insulin uptake of cells, so it makes your insulin resistance less resistant. Um, and uh, and it helps with metabolic syndrome. Very helpful for PCOS, as well as as well as perimenopausal women, as well as I dare say some men who get a very thick tie around their middles. Mm. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, question from Amy, Amy Billington. Uh, please, can you advise about endometriosis and hormone? <laughs> okay, so endometriosis doesn't particularly get um uh right so i suppose the most important thing to remember about endometriosis with hrt is generally that endometriosis is less reactive with hrt than it is with the woman's own natural hormones that's the first thing so usually it isn't such an issue secondly if a woman has had a hysterectomy because for various reasons um, and therefore, on paper, you could give her estrogen-only HRT. I off, if she's got a history of endometriosis, I would usually give her some uh, progesterone as well, some eutrogestan, just to keep those little spots, just in case there are any uh, you know, areas of endometriosis um, still present, quiet. Um, and if you, you can, what you could do is give them give them uh, estrogen only HRT for three months. And if they have no pains in the pelvis, then you're probably home and dry. But if they do get some discomfort and pains, then add in a progestogen. Or if they've had very extensive endometriosis, I go straight in with the progestogen. So I give them eutrogestan and the estrogen, even though they don't have a uterus. And also it's worth m mentioning here, some women actually like to have some progesterone even if they don't necessarily need it from an endometrial point of view, they feel better when they do have some progesterone. So it's always worth remembering that too. If you've got a woman who's on estrogen only HRT and you're finding it difficult to get her settled on it, um, then think about adding in a progesterone. Great, thank you. Um, Amy Brown asks, in the, in the perimenopause, is it better to use the combined oral contraceptive pill or HRT plus progesterone only? In the perimenopause, 
you can use the combined oral contraceptive pill if a woman has no contraindications to being on the combined pill until she's 50. So for example, especially something like Clara, which is uh, which has got natural estrogen in it, hasn't it? It's one of the few that we've got that has. So, so that can give you a nice transition because it's sort of like HRT. So um, yes, if a woman, if you think you've got to cover contraception, remember, and so maybe some people will um, um, will be very happy to um, to be on the pill because it will cover two births, you know, all, all bases for them. Uh, where, whereas others would go more for the Mirena, in which case they've got that, and then you add in some estrogel or a Sandrina or a patch. Yeah. Um, somebody wanted the. Um, Shall I spell it again? Inofolic alpha. It's I-N-O-F-O-L-I-C. And then alpha. Inofolic alpha. Um, somebody asked, and I saw a question come up about, would I start somebody at the age of 60 on HRT? And the answer is yes, I would. And I have. Um, I've had women come and see me who have... Um, who have had i had one lady in her 70s so she she'd had hrt for 10 years and had loved it and felt really really well so more or less from 50 to 60 she'd had hrt and then she um was taken off her hrt uh, against her her you know better judgment um she was told she couldn't be on it for longer than 10 years so she had to come off it and that isn't based on anything okay there is no time limit there is absolutely no time limit to how long a woman can go on HRT. That's like saying to a man, sorry, we're going to have to take your testicles off now because you're 60 years old. So you can't have your hormones anymore. OK, and we wouldn't dream of doing that. So we can give HRT until the day they die. All right. And that will keep them fit and healthy because I told you all about all the diseases it reduces and the fact that it keeps them fit and healthy. Why would you start to withdraw something that was giving them so much good health? And you know that you would then be just, you know, uh, giving them a sentence of, of potentially maybe having uh, Alzheimer's disease and all the rest of it. So it's definitely not something to be unless, of course, the, something changes, like she gets um, breast cancer or something like that, in which case you're going to have to revisit it all. But um, so I had this poor lady. She had had HRT for 10 years, 50 to 60, and then had no HRT for 10 years, 60 to 70. And she had she had never stopped having her heart flushes. So they were not there when she was on the HRT. As soon as she came off the HRT, she had all the menopausal symptoms again. Now, these menopausal symptoms can go on for 20 years. Some women never, never stop having them, having hot flushes, night sweats, et cetera, et cetera. And this poor lady, she had put up with it for about six years. So she was about 76 when she came to see me. Um, but then her husband had got Parkinson's disease and she was his sole carer. And suddenly she could not cope with looking after him and all that was expected, she was expected to do and the hot flushes and the no sleep and all the way she felt and her muscle weakness and so on. So I gave her HRT and the secret is you go very slowly and you do transdermal. Um, and you also, I give, ask them to take um, an aspirin if they're not on any blood thinners. Um, because you could make the plaques that are formed in the arteries come away and float off as the arteries clean up because the arteries will clean up on HRT. So you want them to stay well hydrated, not to go on any long haul flights or long coach journeys, um, to take aspirin daily and to go transdermal with a small dose and very gradually increase until you are at the level where their symptoms are sorted. 
and she was so grateful and it made such a huge difference to her the oldest lady that i've got on hrt is 92 um, and she is amazing she's got a third of an acre garden which she keeps like chelsea it's absolutely beautiful and she came to see me miserable as anything when she was 88 because again she'd been taken off hrt at the age of 85 so up until 85 she'd been on it and at 85 somebody decided that she shouldn't have it it was like why <laughs> why would you take somebody who's 85 years old off hrt when she was doing so well on it so she had three years of misery literally three years of misery when she couldn't sleep she had hot flushes she couldn't concentrate she couldn't look after her garden it was absolutely dreadful and um and her daughter brought it to me and said please can you help us and i said absolutely we'll go back on it and it was only 25 microgram estradiol patch that she needed to, to have to make her feel completely better and all singing or dancing again, you know, uh, absolutely superb. So yeah, that's, those are my two stories of women starting later on. Yeah. You, you mentioned that starting slowly with transdermal, there's a few comments about some CCGs saying to use oral first line and transdermal second line. That's wrong. I wouldn't agree with that at all. The British Menopause Society would not agree with that at all. The gold standard is transdermal and therefore that is what we would yet generally go for. Now there are a couple of provisos. Um, one is that oral, um, oral, if you've got somebody who's got high cholesterol, then oral HRT often brings their cholesterol down. So, um, and sometimes it's a woman's choice, you know, she has to choose. We talk about the pros and cons of each method and, um, and she may decide that um, she's slim, she's active, um, she hasn't got a big risk of, of having a clot um, and therefore she would and she rather the convenience of oral then we'll go oral and it will increase her clotting risk for a few months but then it does reset to normal actually after after they've been on to about six nine months it will reset to normal um, and um, yeah so so we do but generally we start transdermal and the thing about starting transdermal is it's more flexible in the, especially in the perimenopause. You don't know how much they're going to need. You don't know whether one squirt is going to be enough, which is actually 0.5 milligrams. So one squirt is enough. But you, if, if after, let's say after a week, they have no respite to their symptoms, they can go up to two. Whereas if you're giving them a tablet, it's much more difficult to titrate that. Um, if you, once you've established them, let's say on four squirts a day, they're feeling great, that would be two milligrams. And if they say, I really want to swap to oral, I'm finding this inconvenient, then you go to two milligrams straight across and see if that's okay. Bear in mind, though, that women don't all absorb every um, method, every, um, every product in the same way. And I have women who come back after three months and say, I've been, I've gone up to four squirts and I still feel terrible, blah, blah, blah. So we do do blood tests um, because I can't tell looking at them what their hormone levels are. I can see clinically that it's not working, but it might be that I've pushed them too high. Because if you, if your level goes over a thousand, you get tachyphylaxis and then you're, it, it's not going to work. 
So it's like not having enough. And I've seen, I've had patients come to see me after they've seen, been seen at various other clinics who just keep ramping up the estrogen because they're saying, oh, you're still getting hot flushes and night sweats. Oh, you aren't on enough. You better have two 100 microgram patches or you know eight squirts. I've had one woman who was on five 100 microgram patches and 16 squirts of estrogen a day. Can you believe it? She came to me on that. She was like a spring. She was so wired up. It was terrible, absolutely terrible. So, and she, yeah, anyway, so, um, so it, I think it's important to have some blood tests and, um, and it just gives you some guidance, you know, are they absorbing it? It, it, it could be that their level is a hundred and they're not absorbing it. And that's why they still feel terrible, but it could be that their, le their level's gone to 1100. <laughs> and so it's not working and you need, you need some guidance really because we don't have a crystal ball. Thanks. Can we do one more question then? From this one's from Rosalind. That's what we've got all we've got time for. Rosalind asks, can you talk about testosterone and its use for libido? Can we prescribe this as GPs or is it specialist only? No, you, if you feel comfortable to prescribe it, you can. Um, but it needs to be monitored. And it is wonderful because women have four times more testosterone in their bodies than they have estrogen in their bodies before they get to the menopause. It's made by the ovaries and the, and, and the um, uh, um, I want to say androgens, but that's not right, but the adrenal gland, uh, the adrenal gland and the, the ovaries. And generally the testosterone continues its production for beyond the estrogen production. So sometimes women go into this quite interesting honeymoon period where their estrogen is lower and they're more progest uh, testosterone dominant and they get a bit more randy and their sex life really takes off and they love it. And they just feel really, it's great. But it, this is usually before the crash. So they're having this lovely, lovely time and really enjoying themselves. And then, and, and then the, the testosterone production dives and suddenly their libido has gone. And then they really mourn that, obviously, and uh, terribly important to replace it. So bearing in mind, it, there's four times more testosterone in a woman's body than there is estrogen. It is as much a female hormone as it is a male hormone. And we need to give it back because she's got androgen deficiency. Now, the th important um, measurement is the free androgen index. You want to um, have the free androgen index between one and five percent. So sometimes the testosterone level looks awfully high, but actually, when you work out the free androgen index, it's okay. Um, and so, um, yeah, there, there is one um, product that is licensed for women, and that's called Androfem, and it's only available privately, and it's imported from Australia, and it costs about eighty pounds for three months supply. Um, so often we give women testosterone, uh, Tostran, 2% gel, but it's out of license use. So to question whether you feel comfortable prescribing out of license or not, um, Testim is useful because it's got a little screw cap and um, so they can just put a little blob on every day. Um, and the tester gel is not so convenient because that's in a sachet and you use a little blob, but you have to then put a paper clip on the sachet to close it down uh, until, you know, use it in that way. And if somebody's on testosterone placement, they must have an SHBG and a testosterone blood test at least once a year. Certainly, I like to do it three months after they've started using it. And then annually thereafter or whenever I change the dose because you will get a few surprises. You'll, you'll, ask, you'll have told them very carefully to use it twice a week um, or whatever dose you feel is right. 
and um, and then they'll come back and it'll be sky high because they thought you said put it on every day. You know, so it's really, really important. They might get acne um, and they might feel aggressive um, and super confident <laughs> if they if it's too high. Um, the, the, eventually their voice would get deep and it wouldn't reverse. But we've never had any any women in the UK have um, uh, side effects that are really severe from taking testosterone. You know, you, people are sensible. I always say to them, if you start getting a few spots on your face, reduce the amount you're using. It's just a bit too much for your body, you know. Um, and, uh, and they do that and they're fine, absolutely fine. But do monitor it because I've also seen patients come from other clinics where they haven't monitored it and the patient's been told by her hairdresser that she's really thinning. And then when we check it, it's far too high. So please monitor it. Okay. Tina, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for, for that for that presentation. I really enjoyed that. And um, and, uh, and I'm sure everybody else here, here too. The fact that we have so many people remain on throughout the whole thing is wonderful. Um, and uh, I think we might have to have you back actually, maybe next year again, do a, uh, but there's lots of unanswered questions that we haven't had time lovely. to answer Brilliant. i'm afraid but Brilliant. anyway um some lovely comments fantastic thought longer next time okay Rosalind. um <laughs> but, but tina thank you so much enjoy the rest of your day and thank you everybody for coming along that's a pleasure thank you thank you bye bye bye